This is episode number 207 with founder of Data Moves Me, Kristen Kerrer. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back on the show. And today we've got a very inspiring guest, Kristen Kerrer, a data scientist with 10 years of experience, a data science influencer, a future data science author, um, a co-host of Data Science Podcast, and many, many more exciting roles um, that Kristen fulfills in the space of data science and the way she gives back to the community. And in fact, Kristen was one of the speakers at Data Science Go 2018 and her talk was full of energy. There was lots of excitement. Lots of people came up to Kristen after her talk and today she's here on the podcast to share her journey in the space of data science with us. And in this podcast, you'll find a lot of valuable tips. You'll find out how and why Kristen uses certain data science tools from SQL to R to Python to big data tools to visualization tools. You'll also find out why Kristen uses R sometimes and why she uses Python sometimes and why Kristen recommends to make sure that you know both of these tools and what each one of them is good for. You will also hear some valuable career hacks and tips whether you're just starting out into data science or whether you're advanced data scientist. You will find hacks on what technical skills actually add value to businesses and are quite easy to learn. You will find out what to do about your soft skills, how to give back to the community, and in fact, how to better structure your resume. And in fact, in terms of that last one, you'll find a special surprise waiting for you towards the end of this podcast. Kristen shared something exciting uh, with us in terms of her course on building a resume. So lots and lots of value for all level of data scientists and lots of energy from Kristen Kerrer right here on the show coming up just now. So without further ado, I bring to you Kristen Kerrer, founder of Data Moves Me. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. This is going to be fun because we were just recording this podcast with Kristen and then my computer crashed, so this is going to be our second attempt at it. Kristen, my huge apologies for that, but it was so much fun. It was great energy, so let's recreate that from the start. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> I'm feeling great. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Okay, all right. So... I believe we started off by me complimenting your amazing energy at Data Science Go and how you were inspiring everybody. You brought in so much positivity to the event. And um, yeah, how did you feel about everything that happened there? Oh my God, I thought it was amazing. It was fantastic to meet people who I've been building relationships online uh, with for the last couple months to you know meet them and give them a hug or other people that I've been interacting with on their posts and you know really get an opportunity to meet them and connect and everyone was warm and friendly and the energy was incredible the whole weekend yeah yeah and thank you for for the compliment and uh, the amount of energy you brought was just incredible I think your talk was one of the one where people were like laughing the most and having a really really great time um, yeah, so that was, that was really cool to hear and see. And um, you, like, just for, for our listeners, for the sake of our listeners, um, Kristen does a lot of things in the space of giving back to the community of data scientists. So Kristen has, uh, writes her own blog posts. Uh, you've got uh, webinars that you run. You've got these sessions with Fabio Vasquez. You appear on podcasts. You're writing a book with Kate Strashny, who was on the Super Data Science Podcast just not that long ago. Um, and you're, you're just generally helping people, you know, speaking at conferences and you have your own website with a course on it. 
So that is very, very exciting. I want to ask you, like, where do you find the motivation and energy to do that? Yeah, it comes from true passion. Um, you know, I, I work nine to five and, and everyone says that after you have kids, you have less time. But that just hasn't been the case for me because my kids go to bed at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then I have from 8 to 11 to work on other initiatives and I'm not a TV watcher. So, you know, that's what I'm doing. Like last night I was um, turning a video into an image data set so that I can start doing some object detection in my free time. That's... And yeah, the people are just so much fun and I've, you know, like taking part in data science office hours uh, with Terry Singh and Kate Strachney and, and Fabio and and some others, uh, you know, I'm I'm building these amazing relationships and and you know it's not like I'm coming from a place of you know I need to give back. It's that like I I just I just am because because it's so much fun like it's just it's really like my my purpose so it's something like you enjoy and you actually want to do yes 100 percent. yeah that's that's very cool and would you say that uh i I believe i asked you this question and i think it's an important one so i'll ask it again would you say that you have to have like in your case 10 years of experience and uh, be an expert at something to be able to give back? Or do you think that anybody who's even starting out in the field has the capacity to give back and help others? Yeah, anyone in the field absolutely has, or not even in the field. If you are in school and you learn something cool, share that with others. There are people who want to read it. Uh, the LinkedIn community is incredibly welcoming and you know, put yourself out there and you're going to be so pleasantly surprised with the response that you get. And it is a little bit making yourself vulnerable to put yourself out there. Uh, But you absolutely have something to share with those who are not learning the same stuff. They could be studying at you could be studying at a different school than somebody else and learning the material in another way. And, and you may help somebody better understand an algorithm or something else, or you may give them that aha moment that, Mm. that really helps someone. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And, um, so, and you're also working like what I, what I like about your approach is that you work in collaboration with other data scientists as well. So in addition to giving back on your own, like you've taken it to the next level and you have these uh, webinars with Fabio and you're writing a book with Kate. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Like how, how do you go about finding these partnerships and uh, like creating to working to maintain them and create projects together? So it's all been pretty organic. Uh, You know, it's like Kate Strashny had posted on LinkedIn forever ago, hey, I'm doing humans of data science. Uh, Comment here if you want to take part. So I commented. And when it was my turn to be on humans of data science, which was open to anyone, you could have been a first year data science student. Um, You know, I met Kate and we have an incredible friendship now. Um, yeah. I'm not overselling it. I'm actually traveling to her house in New York next weekend. Nice. And I'm going to spend the night. Uh, you know, I've, I've made real friendships on LinkedIn. And with Fabio, you know, we were like in this group chat. And we just started talking about similar things. And so, you know, we started talking some more. Uh, and decided to to launch our webinar series together. And, you know, I, I come from that mentality of just sort of like, put it out there. You know, uh, I don't overthink anything too much. Like if somebody has a great idea, mm-hmm. I'm just typically like, I'm in. Uh, within the construct of like, I definitely set healthy boundaries for myself and that way I'm always able to meet my deadlines. Uh, but, you know, if I have time for something and and I can fit it in and it's, it, and it's exciting, like I'm just the type of person who's gonna go for it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. That's that's a very uh, cool way of putting it. So just like network and connect with people online, 
chat and when you find somebody with similar interest like grab the opportunity by its horns and give it a chance right like you know if somebody's suggesting something you don't have to commit to a year of work together but like give it a go and see how how it works out and the first time you guys be are able to create something that gives value to other people why not continue right yeah, actually, that's that's totally how my blog started. So my friend Jonathan Nolis, he's also a data scientist. I noticed him getting active on LinkedIn, and I texted him, and I was like, "What are you, what are you up to, Mister LinkedIn social guy?" Yeah. And he was like, "You should write a blog article." And I was like, "Okay." So you know, I I launched my first blog article in March, and you know. Now I get a lot of shares and a lot of likes on my blog articles, and and I haven't been doing it for very long. That's amazing. And just just for our listeners, uh, th- we're actually talking like massive, massive growth and impact. That's that's how uh, in demand this space is, and that's how much people, how people are hungry for uh, help and knowledge in this space. So Kristen started in March, and now like blogging, and now she has. Kristen, you have 13,000 followers on LinkedIn. In fact, congratulations. Just, you just went over 13,000 as we were speaking. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's so cool. And uh, so when you say blogs, you don't have to have, like, I, I think you have, you have your own, uh, you blog on your own website, but people can just blog on LinkedIn as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. You can create LinkedIn articles. Uh, my first article I ever posted was actually on Medium mm-hmm. first. Uh, you know, I, I, sent that article into towards data science it got rejected and then so i just submitted my next article to towards data science and that one got accepted and so Mm. now anything i write um can go in towards data science and i would like to say that my first article was awesome um (laughs) (laughs) nice what was it about what was it about uh, so it was about using segmentation to learn and how in business, oftentimes you'll hear people say, you know, I want us to do a segmentation. Can these be the segments? And it's like, no, you know, we should use an unsupervised algorithm. At least that's absolutely my preference. Uh, let, let, you know, the algorithm decide sort of what the natural groupings are, or at least have an understanding of what your natural groupings are. And, you know, there's also a lot of times where I've heard in multiple companies that I've worked for, hey, we've done this market segmentation. Can you tie these people back to, uh, you know, our actual customers? And the answer is no. Like, I don't have the survey questions that you asked for my whole data set. but I can build you a segmentation on your internal data. And if you want, we can append third party data. And I was also talking about like really thinking about creative ways that you can come up with new variables. And, you know, in one of those I mentioned, one of the variables that I mentioned was like, can you determine customers with a seasonal usage pattern? And then after I wrote that blog article, I went on to find customers in our database who had seasonal usage so that we can message to them differently. So instead of looking at somebody who has, you know, used less than normal over the last couple months and thinking that they're a retention risk, we're now able to market to them differently and say, hey, here's how you can, you know, build your business in the off season. And uh, that's like really helpful. So, so, you know, I work for Constant Contact. They do, uh, they sell an email marketing solution for, you know, small, medium, large businesses, uh, anyone who would benefit from email marketing. But, you know, there's certainly people who, you know, if you are a ski resort or something, I don't know if a ski resort would need it, but, you know, in the off season, mm-hmm. it, it would be useful to their business to continue thinking about list building mm-hmm. and continue uh, thinking about how they can stay front of mind in the eyes of their customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I feel like we're able to add value for these people who, you know, sometimes go dormant for months at a time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha Uh, so yeah that's very very interesting uh approach and um yeah i I think that's that's already very valuable we actually um we're talking before about 
techniques. Maybe this is a good opportunity for uh, to us to revise that conversation. Like, what would you say? You you have a whole ar array of techniques uh, that you have expertise in, from time series analysis to forecasting, cluster analysis, uh, segmentation, neural networks, uh, text analytics, survival analysis, full factorial MVT. What would you say is uh, the most valuable? And I really liked how you mentioned previously that you've got uh, what is what you like yourself, which you enjoy, and what's useful to the business. Do you mind sharing with us, that with us again, please? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So what I was saying um, is exactly like there's things that I find super fun. Uh, and of course, you know, when I was identifying seasonal customers, that was sort of like an off-label use case for the model. And so things that are a little bit more innovative and fun, like that's really exciting to me. But, you know, a lot of the times where I'm able to add the most value is in things like multivariate test analysis, which isn't a skill that most people have. Um, I don't know that it's taught in a lot of the data science programs. That's me just, you know, conjecturing. I don't have any mm -hmm. factual information on that. Um, but, you know, I, I haven't really found too many other people who are well versed in MVT, so I'm able to teach that to other analysts at Vistaprint and I'm able to teach that to other analysts and data scientists at Constant Contact and that allows them to do multivariate tests on their website and really be able to understand the interactions that are going on there instead of um, doing iterative A-B testing where of course you'd be like losing some information and so that's teaching other people how to read ANOVAs um, and do this analysis and and that opens up you know more possibilities for in terms of testing yeah yeah gotcha could you could you give us like an example sample application of uh, mvt some so i don't know some of our listeners maybe who are not familiar with the technique might be able to see the value and then start learning it yeah sure so like i said you know um if you do iterative A-B testing, you're not able to see the interaction of certain variables. So in a multivariate test, it might be something like you are promoting a sale on the website and in what areas should you promote that sale, right? Because all of the real estate on the website is important. Mm -hmm. And if you are not promoting the sale, you could be mentioning other copy or, you know, promoting other products, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say this is like a site-wide sale or something. And maybe you have that in the marquee, which is like the header. Uh, maybe you have that on a product page you know, in like a little box. There's there's just so many different areas of a website, right? There's the, you know, there's the, the header, the footer, the marquee, different product tiles, and, and any of those tiles could be swapped out. And so you'd basically be looking for what is the optimal placement or combination of placements that is best for promoting a sale that's either going to lead to uh, a higher conversion rate or a higher revenue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, gotcha. So you're kind of like uh, testing multiple changes at the same time rather than one by one, or like two versus two, uh, like one versus one many times. Right, exactly. So it's actually, if you you know, if, if the sale is either on or off in a certain placement and there's four different placements you're considering, then that's um, two to the four. And so whatever that is, eight times 16. Mm -hmm. So you're you're testing 16 different things. So it's, you know, on in placement one and off in the other three placements and all those permutations up until you get to, you know, having all four on. And, you know, intuitively, a lot of people think like, oh, okay, if I have the sale on in four different placements, that's going to be better than only having it on in three. And that's actually not true a lot of the time. Um, you know, you can find an, an optimal 
way of of placing that message uh, and freeing up other space to to message to other things. Um, but the benefit of the MVT is that you learn of the combinations and the interactions, whereas in a split test, or even if your split test has multiple cells, so if you have, you know, cell A, B, C, and D, and you're doing different things, you're not understanding the interaction between A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a multivariate test, you can actually get at what's the effect of the interaction of these three things, having all three things on at once versus, you know, gotcha. having four independent yep. Yeah, makes cells. Sense. Thank you. Thank you very much for the example. And you mentioned as well that this like the two things that there's something that is really valuable to the business and i can see how this this would be uh, extremely valuable skill to bring into the business but then you said that there's something there are things in data science that you are most excited about so what would you say uh, out of these uh, skills that you have out of these different algorithms that you use what would you say is the one that you are most excited about yeah so i'm I honestly get excited to build any type of model. Um, that's like a, that's a good thing to get excited about if you're a data yeah, scientist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, right now I'm working on a large cluster analysis that I'm really excited about. And, you know, for me, it really is data science is both an art and a science. And being able to, you know, the, the added complexity comes in when you think about uh, your output and does this make sense in terms of the business question and you know really narrow like like trying iterating and trying different things and and finding that answer that like truly gets at the um, business question that's actionable that people will you know we can automate this and tag people and build campaigns off of it um, like, yeah, I just enjoy it all. And I'm like really enjoying the segmentation that I'm currently working on. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. And um, so in addition to a lot of different uh, algorithms and uh, skills, techniques that you have, you know quite a bit of tools. So you have, you're like, you're a very technical person in, from, from my perspective. So um, you know SQL, R, Python, um, Tableau, uh, Hadoop as well, in fact, two types of SQL. Uh, could you tell us what is, what would you say is the most uh, important foundational skill, tool out of all of those? Yeah, so I always say SQL. Um, because, you know, even though every day now I'm in Python mm -hmm. and I'm writing my SQL queries in Python, mm -hmm. uh, you know, day one, if you're a data scientist and you walk into a new company, they're going to say, here's our data warehouse. This is where you're getting your data from. Uh, and and you can have all of the techniques in the world to to build models. But if you're not able to access the data and pull it correctly in a way that uh, makes sense, then you're sort of stopped at, at the starting point. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally agree. When I was starting out at Deloitte, uh, that was the single most valuable skill that I had and uh, I brought into the business. I think I actually studied SQL uh, before the interview quite extensively to make sure uh, like I know how to get the data out of their databases to work with it. And SQL isn't that hard, right? Like it doesn't take that long to learn. No, absolutely not. I uh, taught it not taught it. Well, I have taught it. Uh, but I learned originally on the job. Mm. And, you know, it was something where it was a skill I didn't have. It was on the job description. And I reached out to the company and I said, you know, I don't, I, I don't have any experience with SQL, but I'm competent and I can learn. Fun. And I, I got the job and they, they taught me SQL and it wasn't very long before I was up and running. And, you know, even at Vistaprint where I was managing people, I'd have reports that would also come with no SQL experience. And, and there we don't, we didn't have people come in and teach us. So I learned, 
uh, with like an external consultant that literally came in and taught a group of us SQL. But at Vistaprint, I was teaching people SQL and it was literally just like sitting down and it's, you know, here's the table and, he, you know, here's these tables and this is the schema and this is how you read the schema and now we're going to do some joins and, um, and people get up and running really quickly. Like it's not it's not a huge barrier. Like if you're somebody who's listening right now and you don't know SQL, like you can go and take an online course and do some Googling and, and, you know, with some effort, you can pick it up relatively quickly. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. So SQL, uh, very good skill. And uh, also I see that, you know, SQL, uh, SQL, I'm assuming Microsoft SQL and PostgreSQL. So it's, Good idea to know at least two types of SQL because you know there's four dominant types of SQL in the world. Um, there's also Oracle and there's also uh, MySQL. And so out of the four, it's good to know at least two. Um, get you through a lot of situations. And then I also know that you use both R and Python. Can you tell us a bit about how you use, how and why you use the the two tools rather than sticking to just one of them? Yeah. So, I mean, I had started with just one tool, right? I, I started with R in 2004 mm -hmm. and this was before our studio. Um, Whoa, before our studio. I can't even imagine R without our studio. Yeah, no, our studio didn't come out until like 2010. Wow. Well, that must, that must have been hectic to type in all that code into a word, a doc, word, word editor. The editor. Yeah, yeah. no, no, it was definitely, it, it, R has gotten so much easier. Like if you're new to R, yeah. like you should be really grateful that you're jumping in at this time because um, <laughs> the learning sure. curve was rough back in the day. Mm. And yeah, so I mean, that's where I started with all my modeling. But in my master's degree, there wasn't as much, um, you know, I wasn't working with a database so there wasn't like as much manipulation to do. So my, my core strengths in R is really the modeling piece. And then I started picking up Python only about six months ago. And, you know, so I'm sort of in the, in the middle of this identity crisis where I will do a lot of my, you know, manipulation and cleaning and uh, automating different things in you know, pandas and NumPy. And then if I'm building a model, I will call RPy2 and and run an, a model in R through Python after I do the data cleaning in Python. Mm. Okay, that's that's a, definitely a bit of an identity crisis. But I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, it's beneficial that, you know, like you are constantly in, interacting with the two tools because, like, I've met people who are very proficient at R and then they started learning Python and then uh, you know two years later they don't really they haven't used R that much and they don't really remember how to use it and they're not as confident right like even if there's something that because tools are you know some tools are good for some things other tools are good for others and R and Python have both their advantages and so in those cases people would know even that R might have a, an advantage of doing something but because they haven't used it for two years they would still stick to Python. Would you agree that like by using them constantly both at the same time, you're maintaining this high level of acumen and you can jump into either tool whenever you need it? Oh yeah, I mean I have both open on my work laptop right now and I will just go back and forth or if somebody mentions a new R package on LinkedIn, I'm in R checking that out. Like I, I just, I want to use the coolest, newest, shiniest thing, uh, and it doesn't matter which tool it's in. Definitely, and I hope this uh, this serves as a, an inspiration to our listeners that you know a lot of the time we get asked the question, um, R versus Python, which one to learn? Well, learn both. You know, start with with the one that you know, try out both. See the one that you kind of like feel better uh, about, and then and then just learn both. And I would I would personally say that probably Python has a it's a bit easier to learn. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, in terms of data manipulation, it, it, Python's very intuitive to pick up. But at the same time, R has some modeling capabilities that are tried and true. And, and those packages have been around for a while. And Python's, you know, starting to catch up. But, you know, even just a couple months ago, 
they released Auto Arima in Python, but it had been available for a long time in R. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there are certain times where just the the depth, at like, you know, it's it's the breadth and the depth of statistical modeling in R that, mm -hmm. you know, can just land you in R sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, okay, so another skill that you have, an interesting one on, on your list of uh, skills, which is, as we can see, is already building up quite, quite a broad, um, a, di a diverse list of skills uh, in terms of data science, is Hadoop and Hive. So that's us moving into the space of big data. Could you tell us like, how valuable is it to have those skills? How valuable has it been for your career to know how to deal with big data? Yeah, so I think it's been super valuable in a number of different ways. And one of them is just simply that I don't need to speak to the big data team if I, you know, think of a variable that or, you know, someone asks a question, if one of my stakeholders asks a question and I know that that data is available in the big data environment, I don't need to ask somebody else to get it for me. I'm not waiting on somebody else or nothing's going to hold me up. Um, Mm -hmm. when I'm trying to access all the data that I might need for a model. So that's been super useful. Um, and then, you know, I think part of it too is we hear big data and I had been hanging out in the regular data world for, for a while. And, you know, these things become sort of big in your head, like, oh, that person, you know, everyone's talking about big data. And so you think it's going to be this like, thing that's, um, you know, scary or intimidating, and it's not like Hive is very similar to SQL. Uh, once you figure out how to access the big data environment, like you can really easily start querying that and getting results back and it intuitively makes sense. Uh, you know, if you already have the SQL knowledge. Yeah, okay, that's that's very inspiring to hear. So um, I would uh like if people are interested in, in big data, it's, it's probably a good idea to check it out to at least, as you say, have that um, level of knowledge that allows you to go in and get the data that you're looking for and deal with these tools and learn them on the go. So once you have that initial interaction with big data, you see that it's not actually that scary. It's not that, that different to uh, SQL, then that, that'll be helpful. Like personally, I've worked with, big data on, on the job in um, using Greenplum uh, and with uh, one of their consultants we were going through these things and indeed it uh, it has its own specifics but at the, at the same time you can quite quickly get your head around uh, not, not in extreme depths of the topic and you know becoming a big data expert but to have that skill to be confident that you won't get lost when you need it I think that's very useful for everybody. Yeah, I'm absolutely not an expert. I can just get in mm -hmm. and find the things and get what I need, you know? Like, I'm not setting up a cluster or anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and uh, then let's uh, quickly chat about uh, visualization. So that's another skill that you highlight uh, that, you, that you have in terms of data science. and. Uh, indeed, your talk at Data Science Go was on killer presentations, bringing model output to life with data storytelling. Uh, I know it was a, almost an hour talk. We're not going to go through the whole thing now, but can you give us some of like the biggest takeaways? Well, what, why is data storytelling such an important skill for data scientists? Yeah, so we get this reputation that we are the person who's going to, you know, try and solve this problem. We go and hide in the corner for six months and then we emerge and we try and explain our results to the business and to our stakeholders in a way that they don't understand. You know, and a lot of these algorithms that we're building, the, the first one that I start with is, you know, a neural net that I had built in 2011 and how I presented it to the business. And that was showing them a bunch of functions um, that wasn't going to land with the audience because these were people who were non-technical. And instead of explaining it to the business in terms of functions that 
you know, they don't know what a, a sigmoid function is, or, you know, maybe they've like seen the graphs, but they certainly don't need to see the function. I can bring that to life by showing them examples of certain days that I had forecasted and what days the forecast fell apart because there was a pop-up thunderstorm um, or what days the model performed particularly well and, and really bring to light like, okay, you know, I built this model and this is how, you know, this is when it works the best. Here's some things that we need to consider and when it's not going to work as optimally. And I can just show them, you know, nice intuitive graphs or even when I was talking about um, identifying customers with seasonal usage patterns, like I wasn't talking about Fourier transforms. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, here, look, here's here's a customer. And I went into the database and I and I found a person Mm-hmm. who was seasonal and it was clear that their business was going to be seasonal and you know I showed a picture of that person and their logo and 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 gave them an understanding of you know this specific person and what their needs might be and then you're able to see their usage pattern in a really simple graph and it's like the model said this person was seasonal and you know I, I can also show a picture of Joan. This woman runs a church group and churches are typically looking for donations year round. And so you see that this woman's uh, usage pattern isn't going to come up as seasonal because regardless of the month, you know, if I if I plot year over year data, you know, in any month she could have sent zero times or she could have sent one times. And, you know, in some months there was a spike, but there was no way for the model to say that she was seasonal because there was no definitive pattern to to the way that she was using the product. Um, you know, and so so even if you're building a model that is complex, there are ways that you should be able to talk to the business and to create that those visualizations in a way that doesn't set the person off. And so, like, not set off, that's not the right wording, but, um, you know, like showing model output. If I show logistic regression model output, um, and, you know, I had an example in my presentation where in 2013, I... I thought I was doing better and I had this logistic regression model output and I had converted log odds to odds because of course, you know, who knows what log odds, log odds are like intuitively when they look at it. Um, and you know, the thing is, is like that slide did nothing for the audience because, um, first of all, I would have had to explain that the coefficients were like multiplicative, um, and I would have had to explain what the p-values meant. And that like totally detracts away from the fact that the model that I had built said, okay, these customers are more likely to come back. We should target them and sort of what makes up these group of customers that are more likely to come back. And on the flip side, you know, who are the people who are less likely to come back and, and you know, why is that? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think um, it also takes time, right? Like if you find yourself explaining what log odds are and what uh, how p-values work, then that's going to take like 20 minutes at least of your audience's time. And by the time you finish, they already forgotten what the whole conversation was at the start and half of them are already asleep. So you really, I would say you really need to take into consideration the technical technicality of your audience, you know, the average or the minimal technical level level in your audience and tailor your presentation to that. Absolutely, because if you show them model output and you lose them in the beginning, you're not going to get them back either for like your heavy hitter slides at the end. You know, you've already, they're already like, oh, this AI <laughs> mumbo jumbo, even though it's not AI, but you know. Yeah. People are throwing that term around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, by the way, what do you think of AI? Like uh, how, um, you know, like you, you use uh, uh, neural networks in your, in your work. How powerful have you found them to be? Yeah, I mean, the model that I built um, had a MAPE of 0 0.85. 
um, you know, so, so I was building this neural net to forecast hourly electric load. Mm -hmm. And this was super instrumental in uh, determining capacity, like whether or not we had, you know, had to move over energy from one sub subsystem to another. I like forget all of the terminology in terms of what they did, but it was it was so that they could manage the capacity of the load. And originally, I had had some ARIMA models that I had built to do this, but realistically, the relationship between uh, load and the weather is nonlinear. Uh, so you know, we were able to get much better accuracy and which was like actually had business implications um, in terms of making sure that people's lights don't go off. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. So, I mean, and, and that wasn't scary either. It was a whole lot of um, just data, you know, it was making sure that we took into consideration um you know, daylight savings time and dummies for holidays, dummies for the day of the week, dummies, dummies for everything, dummies everywhere. Um, and, you know, temperature and dew point and humidity and amount of snowfall. Um, so there was like a lot of data, but uh, it was way more accurate than when we were using an ARIMA model. Wow, that's... That's really the power of AI right there, right? It's uh, an inspiring example of how you, know, you can take one, like an, a, a, one approach, replace it with deep learning, artificial intelligence, and all of a sudden you're taking so much more into consideration. The, kind of look, the price you pay ties into, you know, into this whole visualization and presentation. The price you pay is that it's harder to explain these models. A lot of people see them as black box models. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the coefficients aren't as easily interpretable as if we had a regression model or mm. if we had a cart decision tree where you can say, okay, you know, we're maximizing entropy and this guy's the most important. Um, but at the same time, you're still able to take a step back and say, okay, I know that this model isn't going to perform well when we all of a sudden have a thunderstorm or um, it's dependent on the weather forecast. If the weather forecast for the day is crap, um, then I'm not going to be able to accurately forecast the load, right? I'm dependent on, on the weather forecast. Um, but like those things are very conceptually easy to understand and and i can explain those things and it gives because the problem with stakeholders is that they just get nervous when there's a black box and you can't um calm their nerves by showing them like taking their hand and saying it's okay like when the weather forecast is good like this is what we can expect in terms of um, our average error and, you know, on certain days we're going to see this behavior, but like, that's okay. And, and really spell it out for them. So it can still be something that's difficult to understand, but you can still explain it in a way that makes people trust you, makes you, people become an advocate of your work. Mm hmm I mean, and that's what we're really trying to get to, right, is a, a point where you're considered a thought partner and you're not just the person who the business is going to come to and say, we need a model for this, build it, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. That's, that's a great way of putting it, that as long as you can calm the people down and, and be, be their partner, um, that's, that's what they're looking for, right? And mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's that trust. Yeah, you got to build that so that they can. And that ties into like storytelling and presentation skills, right? These, these are all people skills. You can't, you can't build trust if you're just focused on technical, technical, technical. And I, I'm really enjoying how this podcast is unraveling because, you know, there are people who need to build up their technical side of things, especially, um, you know, like if you're starting out as a data scientist, those are, you got some really some valuable, super valuable tips here on how you can, uh, what things to focus on and where to start, you know, SQL, Python, R, and how to build up your technical expertise. 
But at the same time, if you're already an advanced data scientist, you want to upskill, up-level your technical things. And you mentioned a couple of things like multivariate testing that people don't often think about. But also you want to be thinking about your soft skills, your people skills, your presentation skills, uh, how you're going to become, uh, show yourself not just as a person who can crunch numbers and get the outputs and build a model, but a person who can bridge the, the um, distance between the technical world and the business decision makers world. Because those are the data scientists that ultimately become the most in demand, that thrive the most, that become the most um, useful data scientists to business who can not just derive insights, but actually communicate them and help the business decision makers implement those insights to help drive the business forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's kind of, uh, so, so it's been so great so far. And what I wanted to talk about now is you have a blog. It's called Data Moves Me. Uh, so if uh, people haven't seen it yet, it's datamovesme.com. So it's just a blog. It's a website. And uh, I think you're doing some great things there. So you have um, the blog if anybody wants to, um, invite you to a conference or um, work with you on a project. There's a great work with me part. But also, I specifically wanted to touch on your up-level, your resume part. So uh, tell us about, so you have a course there. You have a course on how to how people can up-level their resumes. Um, tell us a bit about that. How did that start? Because I believe uh, you only started this website in August this year. Uh, tell us a bit this, about this journey and why you started it and how are you helping people with their resumes? Yeah, so, you know, a couple of the first blog articles that I had published were around, you know, what a job in data science looks like and uh, how to effectively interview and what a successful job hunt looks like. Um, You know, and I had worked with a career coach. I think I had already mentioned that I had gotten uh, laid off at one point and and had the opportunity to work with a career coach. Mm-hmm. And it it taught me a lot. And so I shared that through my blog. And as a result, people started sending me their resumes. And they'd say, can you take a look at this? I need help. I'm not, um, I'm not hearing from the companies that I apply to. And so for a while I was just, you know, if somebody sent me their resume, I'd just review it in my spare time and, and send it back. And I saw a number of common themes. And after I saw a number of common themes, I was like, I want to create a course so that I can help people to effectively promote their skills and, uh, and, and be more targeted and communicate their value to the business in a way that the business is going to be more receptive to. Um, and so I, I created that course and made it available. And it was just, it was one of those things that, you know, if you do something a couple times, you're supposed to automate it. So that's what I did because I automated it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And that way you can reach more people and help more people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And what's the feedback been so far with the course? Oh my God, the feedback has been incredible. Um, And it's really difficult to put reviews up because a lot of these people that are going through the course currently have a job and so they want to remain anonymous but nothing feels better than when somebody emails me and they're like, you know, I got a job today. And Mm. of course the resume does not get you a job like I just want to be clear that the resume opens the door to the interview and then once you go into the interview you need to take it from there um, but for those people who aren't getting I had one guy who you know has a PhD and and a ton of experience he's he's you know an older gentleman and he had been applying so many places and not hearing back from anyone and he went through my course and you know in applying to 20 companies, he heard back from five and one of them was Google. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so, yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it feels really great to get that feedback um, in the way that I'm able to help people. Wow, that's really it's fantastic. It's like really special. Fantastic. And um, can you give us like a tip, like an insight uh, from your course, something that uh, already on this podcast people can get value by just by knowing this one thing. What, what would you say is one of the most 
Uh, I know, like, I don't want you to share the whole course here. I'm sure we won't even have enough time for that. But give us, like, one thing that would uh, bring value to our listeners. Yeah, so... um Definitely in terms of being able to get past the automated systems and being able to get into the hands of an actual person, it's really important that your resume is parsable. Um, most, you know, any of the medium to large companies or, or the majority of them are going to use these automated systems. And, um, you know, if you're tableauizing your resume, which I didn't even realize that was a term until I had seen it on LinkedIn, people creating their resumes in Tableau, or if you're putting charts on your resume to show your skills with, you know, SQL is five stars, yeah. you know, um, those things aren't parsable. So you're not going to be able to get through the automated systems. And then again, um, I really push people to think about the value that they're adding. So, you know, cause you hear you're supposed to start with a verb and you're supposed to end with a result. And a lot of times people are like, well, I don't have a concrete, you know, I added 5% in revenue. So I, you know, and so they leave that out. But like if you automated a process and that saved man hours, that's value, mm -hmm. you know, like there's, there's a lot of things that are, value that aren't necessarily um as quantifiable mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha well those are some valuable tips so you uh, recommend uh, actually in your experiences including those that value as much as possible and highlighting absolutely that. absolutely say so, you know um even on my own resume, like with the neural net, it was like, I, I built a neural net to forecast hourly electric load. Okay, cool story, bro. Like what, what was it used for? Oh, okay. Actually, this was like imperative during heat waves to make sure that we could manage capacity. Mm -hmm. Like that's value. Um, or I, uh, helped to automate uh, AB test analysis, uh, through writing an R package. That saved four hours per test that we ran because we didn't need to have an analyst doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that's not, you know, a machine learning algorithm. That's just automating a process. Right. And it's like, but I'm saving four hours of somebody's time and a business is going to see that and be like, wow, this person gets it, you know, like. Mm -hmm. They can um, explain, you know, the value that they're providing. And it's not always just I increased revenue by 3% or I increased conversion by 2%. Yeah. Yeah. And also the business, as you say, the business sees that this person gets it. Like they see that you think not in terms of just uh, like I like doing data science work. I like cool projects, which, you know, it's just a valuable attitude in itself. But they also see that you're thinking about how are you bringing value to the business. So how you've brought value to your past business or your current business. And therefore, you're going to be thinking in the future about their business as well. And they want people like that on board, right? They, they want partners, as you said. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, fantastic. And uh, can, you, can you comment on that tip again? I found that really valuable. You shared with me before that it's better to send Word versions of your resume rather than PDF versions. Why is that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I actually have three blog articles on Data Moves Me. One's around um, just getting past ATS and the, the automated uh, tracking system. Mm -hmm. One is around uh, positioning yourself during a career change. And the other one is about writing like crisp, concise content that makes an impact mm -hmm. on your resume. And in that first blog article on uh, getting past the applicant tracking system, I put a link to um, Indeed, where it shows you the number of applicant tracking systems that are in use. It's The number is in the hundreds. Wow. And... Uh, a lot of the older systems have difficulty parsing PDFs. And so to hedge your bets, it's better to submit your resume as a dot doc because you know that it will be parsable by the applicant tracking system. So the newer systems can parse PDFs, um, but not all of them can. Wow. Is it doc or docx is also okay? StockX is also okay. Okay. Well, you see, I didn't know that, and I found that very 
uh, insightful. I, when I was applying for jobs, I would always send PDFs because I thought they looked prettier. And, you know, the person, like when they open it up, they can't see all the, the underlines in case there's some, some comma that, you know, I didn't put on purpose or, you know, formatting stuff. But uh, that's a very insightful tip. I, I hope it's very helpful to, to our listeners here. Um, and this is going to com- come completely spontaneous, Kristen. Uh, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but like I have um, a, a question for you. Would you be willing to create a special coupon for our listeners on the podcast in case there are listeners who are interested in taking your course and would like to uh, participate? Um, would you be willing to help out by like some special discount for, the, for our listeners here? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. So we'll discuss that after the show and uh, everybody will include it in the show notes. Uh, and I'll mention the show notes at the outro of this episode. So make sure to check out Data Moves Me and we'll, uh, we'll get uh, some, some wonderful coupon from Kristen. Thank you so much for, for that. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Well, um, on that note, I think we've covered off quite a lot. I'm sure there's a lot more. Like I have a whole ton of questions um, you know, like how you've managed teams, the importance of building a brand, um, neural nets, which we talked a little bit about. But probably one last thing I wanted to cover off before letting you go is um, the book that you're working on with uh, Kay Strashny. It's uh, called Mothers of Data Science. Could you tell us a bit about that and you know, how the idea came to be and what is this book going to be all about when it's released? Oh my God, it's so exciting. Um, And I understand that it's super niche, you know, not everybody is a woman and certainly not a mother, Um, you know, so so it's not, you know, uh, necessarily for everyone because it's super niche, but it was just an an opportunity. So we interviewed Kathy O'Neill, Carla Gentry, Lillian Pearson, Natalie Evans Harris, um, just like a bunch of amazing women. And so it was really an opportunity for Kate and I to have fantastic conversations with women that we admire, who are, you know, badasses in data science, who have been doing it for a while, but also talk about the fact that, you know, a lot of times we're working in teams that are, that we're the only woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when you have a child and you're working in an all-male team, um, you know, things can get a little hairy in terms of, um, you know, just just trying to balance everything. And I understand, you know, I'm not saying that fathers don't have a lot to balance. My husband is um, absolutely a 50-50 partner in everything that we do in the home. Um, But it was just an opportunity to get personal with some people that I really look up to and and share our experiences um, as mothers of data science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so cool. And so... Uh, what what I can really feel the excitement in your voice. What would you say the like some of the biggest highlights are that you've had in these conversations? Oh, you know, it's funny. Um, I just love talking to Kathy O'Neill, and she just you know makes you think about everything. Like I I had met her at ODSC uh, in May of this year, mm-hmm. and you know I just like absolutely fell in love with her uh you know her personality Mm -hmm. it's it's very straight and to the point and you know she absolutely brought that to the interview and you know it's it's not necessarily something that'll make it in the book but you know after reading her book weapons of math destruction and you know all the things that she's thinking about in terms of ethics and bias in modeling and how we're perpetuating these biases and then you know to talk to her and I'm like I'm really excited about the work I do and she's like yeah but like I don't want your emails mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it's just like me like I just like I just loved moments like that and hearing about um, the struggles of Carla Gentry, who, you know, she she didn't have an incredibly easy time. And she talks about some of her regrets in terms of choices that she made, uh, putting work in front of her family life. And uh, it was just like, 
fascinating to watch because she's been in the industry now for 21 years. So to just just hear from someone who has just so much experience and oh, and actually, so we also talked to Olivia Parr Rudd, mm-hmm. who is a grandmother of data science. Oh, wow! And she was talking about how she'd build a logistic regression model on 45,000 rows of data and would have to run it over the weekend, mm. you know, and it, and it would take that long to run. Um, there was just so, oh man, there was just so much fun, interesting, uh, wow. just so it sounds to like connect with these people. Even though you say, you say it's a, it's a niche book. I, it sounds like an interesting read. Like I would totally be interested in reading about that. Like, I, you know, like, obviously, I'm not at the stage where I have kids, so I'm not even a father of data science. But to me, it sounds quite exciting, these journeys. It's always interesting to hear somebody's journey through their career, through data science, some of the struggles they had. And, and uh, you know, like, family time is family time for everybody, not, not if you, only if you just have children. So, um, yeah, very, very impressed. And uh, I'm grateful that you're working on this project. I think it'll help many people. And... Personally, I will uh, pick up one of these copies. When is it coming out? Oh, man. So Kate and I have a goal of making sure that it gets out this year. This year. Okay, good. Good. Let's uh, maybe some Christmas presents for some people. Yeah, Christmas presents. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. In your stocking, mothers of data science. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, well, on that note, uh, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a... Uh, incredible pleasure and before i let you go could you uh, let us know the listeners on the podcast where are the best place some of the best places to find you online and follow you and your career oh yeah absolutely on linkedin um that's sort of i think where i'm the most active mm-hmm. uh and so you can absolutely follow me there i'm also on twitter at uh data moves her and i'm on instagram at data moves her mm-hmm. um my Instagram is definitely more personal. You know, I posted a picture of my kids tonight, but uh, but I'm around and you can find me. Awesome. Fantastic. And all, obviously, we also have the website datamovesme.com. Yes. Great, great. Um, yep, and uh, as mentioned, we'll include the uh, coupon for the course in the show notes. Uh, one last question. What's a book that you would recommend to our listeners to uh, inspire and help their careers in data science? Oh, man. Uh, so, obviously, you need to pick up Women, uh, Mothers of Data Science. And, um, you know, the book that I read most recently that I just mentioned was uh, Weapons of Math Destruction. And it really did push me to sort of think about, you know, these models that I'm building and, and um, you know, to think about the effect that that they have on society. Thanks, thanks so much. Uh, um, I also, I've heard of that uh, book, Weapons of Math Destruction, haven't uh, read it yet, but uh, that's another reason to pick it up, your recommendation. Um, There we go. On that note, thanks so much, Kristen, for being on the show today here and sharing this time and your expertise in the space with us. I'm sure a lot of people got a lot of inspiration and insights from this. Thank you so much. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. For sure, the pleasure is mine. So there you have it. That was Kristen Kerr from Data Moves Me. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. My personal favorite part was when Kristen mentioned that there's two types of valuable skills in data science, the ones that are useful uh, something that you enjoy, that are useful to you personally, that you're learning a lot through, and there's, there's uh, those other ones that are useful to the business. Sometimes they will match up, and that's amazing. Sometimes they won't, but it's good to know both. It's good to know uh, which skills are great to explore and have fun with, and uh, potentially find new ways of applying, and, there's good, and it's good to know which skills are those solid ones that you want to go to and you know that there's a high chance that they will bring value to the business because a lot of the time that's something that data scientists miss. You need to know how to add value to businesses. And uh, it was very nice of Kristen, of course, to share a coupon with us uh, for her course. Uh, if you'd like to 
uh, take the course and uh, definitely use the coupon in that case, you can find it at www.superdatascience.com slash 207. That's where you'll find the link to Kristen's course and the coupon that she mentioned um, for you to take her course on building your resume. And uh, also you'll find all of the show notes there, all the things that we talked about, the materials, uh, link or URL to Kristen's LinkedIn, uh, any books that we mentioned. And uh, make sure to, uh, even if you don't take the course, make sure to connect with Kristen and follow her on LinkedIn because there's going to be lots of exciting announcements. And personally, I'm looking forward to uh, the book uh, Mothers in Data Science coming out hopefully later this year. So I can pick it up and I highly encourage you to check out a copy as well. So the show notes are once again at www.superdatascience.com slash 207. Hope you enjoyed this episode and um, maybe you will be at Data Science Go 2019 next year to meet inspiring people like Kristen and other speakers that we had. On that note, thank you so much for being here today and I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, happy analyzing.